Uh, so what's up, everybody? My name is Jordan. I am one of the pastors here at Renaissance. And this week, um, my family is about to celebrate uh, something that's fantastic for us. We're pretty excited about it. My parents are celebrating 40 years of being married next week. Forty years of being married to my dad, that's another uh, Nobel Peace Prize, I think, might be offered. I was talking to my wife about um, the 40 years, and she said, hey, 40 years is the Ruby anniversary. And I said, hey, the way our bank account is set up, we don't have no Ruby money. We can take him to Ruby Tuesday. I don't think you like that in Yonkers, but I don't know about Rubies. Uh, but over the last 36 years of my life, I've, I've been able to have a front row seat of what it takes to have a, a long, consistent, uh, and successful marriage, both in my parents and in other couples who have shown the way. And here's what I know to be true beyond a shadow of a doubt, what it takes in order to thrive in that endeavor. Sacri sacrificial commitment to the good of the other person. It's great to be attracted to the other person. It's great to have financial peace. It's great to have the same interests all of those things are bonuses if you can get it, but give me two people that are committed sacrificially to the good of the other person, and I will show you a couple that will have a long, healthy marriage. That concept of sacrificial commitment to the good of the other person uh, is actually a biblical word called covenant. Uh, and covenant is what I want to talk to you guys about today, not so much in the sense of marriage, but uh, what it is to have a relationship with God that is a covenant. Now, this is really important because everywhere throughout Scripture, the way God describes himself and the way that God engages with people is through a covenant. When God first comes to Adam and Eve, it is through a covenant. Uh, when God brings the children of Israel out of bondage into Egypt, he takes them up to Mount Sinai and he makes a covenant with them. After the flood with Noah, God makes a covenant. When he approaches Abraham, a story of scripture we're going to look at today, God does it with this thing called covenant. And when Jesus comes, this is not just an Old Testament thing, when Jesus comes and he is sitting with his closest followers, he tells his disciples that what he has come to bring is a new covenant. Now imagine if you were to meet someone who uh, is from some remote village in the Amazon somewhere, and you were trying to describe America to them, it would be impossible for them to understand America if they did not understand capitalism. Here's why. Because everything we do in America, good or bad, everything is undergirded and propelled around this system that frames everything else, which is capitalism. All of us, the way we operate in ways that we think about and in ways that we don't think about, they're all related to capitalism, and that's because this is the way the country runs. And to not understand capitalism is to not understand America. Similarly, to not understand what it is to be in a covenant relationship with God is to not understand God at all. The way that God relates to people is through this thing called covenants. But let me define the word covenant before we get too far down the road. A covenant is an oath-bound relationship between two or more parties. It is an oath or a verbal commitment that actually creates a relationship. Now, I've been fortunate to do a number of weddings um, as a pastor, and uh, every single time I do a wedding, I have to sign the, the wedding license. And in signing the wedding license, here's what I'm looking for. 
There's a box that says that I have witnessed these two people make this verbal oath. And it is their oath, nothing else, not their dresses, not the DJ at the after party. It is their oath that actually creates the relationship. And by them committing, they are now bound in this relationship. And that's what a covenant is um, in terms of a definition. But in order to explain uh, really what I feel the best way to understand what a covenant is, is for me to contrast it by what it is not. Uh, in our modern day understanding, we don't have too many good examples of what a covenant is. So the best way for us to understand it is to contrast it with something uh, that we do understand, which is a contract. Um, think about it like this. A contract is consumer-based, but a covenant is relationship-based. A contract is consumer-based. You do something with, some, with the expectation of something else in return. Everybody in here who has signed a lease, uh, one day you entered into a contract with a real estate agent, and that agent has charged you $7,000 and the naming rights to your firstborn child in exchange for them to do a 10-second Craigslist search for you. No offense to all the agents in the room. And then, if you're lucky, you will land this six-floor walk-up uh, with a view of another building right in front of you. <laughs> and you're going to sign a contract for that apartment. And if you sign that contract, you are expecting something in return. You are expecting the ability to go and to put all of your stuff there and to call that place home. You have the keys. You can come and go as you please. Um, and uh, what you're getting in return is the ability to live there. Your landlord, on the other end, is expecting something in return. He or she is expecting that you pay the rent every first of the month. My old landlord at my old apartment, um, when we were signing the lease, he looked at me, he says, hey, listen, I don't know how many other apartments you've had, but I'm just letting you know that I'm not the one. So if the rent, the rent is due on the first, not the second, on the third, you will have eviction papers. And I was like, all right, so I would give him that rent check like two days in advance because I'm not trying to be on these streets. So a contract is best understood as giving something with the expectation of something in return. A covenant is not a contract. A covenant is not looking for something in return. A covenant is looking for someone in return. A covenant is not about a list of things that you are bartering for, but rather a relationship that is now going to be formed and entered into. Now, one of the most interesting things about the, the notion of a covenant is that this is a biblical thing, but it's also the way people operated in antiquity. So two kings, for example, would enter into a covenant with one another. And when they would enter into a covenant, they were not agreeing to a certain set of, of terms and agreements that they would do for each other, but rather a relationship, a binding relationship that they would enter into. A covenant is not asking for something in return, it is asking for someone in return. Uh, the, the best way to, um, the best scripture that I found that explains covenant comes from Exodus 6 and 7. Uh, write this one down. Here's what God is saying. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Listen to the words in that exchange. I will take you as my people and you and I will be your God. There is not an exchange of tasks or obligations, but rather an exchange of relationship. And the purpose of a covenant is not about a thing, but about a relationship. Now, here's what's so interesting about a covenant. Um, a covenant exists for the benefit of the other party. So one of the best ways I know of, uh, of understanding this that our modern world does give us an uh, um, understanding of 
is that in some ways, the, the relationship of a parent to a child is a covenant. And nobody, nobody uh, in, would allow for a parent to say, you know what, 2018 is actually my year for self-care, and um, my six-week-old, I'm just going to send him back because he's not, you know, he doesn't really do anything. He just sits there, he eats, he makes a, a whole lot of diapers, but he doesn't give me anything in return. All he does is just lay there. Now, if I were to put my kid out at the fire uh, department because I, was, I wanted to watch more Netflix, uh, nobody would respect me because we understand deep down inside that a covenant would, is intended for the good of the other, whether or not that person is performing and doing cute stuff at the moment. A covenant, unlike a contract, um, uh, the, the contract, the obligation of a contract is for the fulfillment of terms, but the obligation for a covenant is loyalty. Here's what a contract asks you to do. These are the terms that we have agreed to. Here's my hand shaking on it. This is what I want in return, a specific list of things that you need to do. In the covenant, what I'm asking for is your loyalty. When those two kings shake hands that they are in covenant relationship with each other, they're not asking for a specific itemized list of things that they should do, but rather that you and I are going to be loyal to each other no matter what happens. When God gives us a covenant, it's to remind us that he's giving us his loyalty and he's asking for ours in return. Now, this whole past week as I was reading through this concept of covenants, it was blowing my mind and it was making me see scripture, scriptures that I've read a hundred times in a much different light. Uh, so uh, going all the way back to the Garden of Eden where the enemy comes to tempt uh, Adam and Eve with this piece of fruit. And here's what the enemy says to Adam and Eve. Uh, Spoiler alert, it was never about a stupid piece of fruit. He comes to him, he comes to Adam and Eve and says, listen, did God really say that you can't eat this? And here's his rationale. God just knows that if you do this, your eyes are going to be open and you're going to be just like him. His accusation against God is that God is not worthy of your trustworthiness because God is holding good stuff back from you. God doesn't deserve your loyalty. And here's what's so devastating, and it's something I found out this week when I was reading the scripture. Uh, the first thing that happens after Adam and Eve uh, eat the forbidden fruit and they fall, the first thing that happens is God goes and looks for them. And I've never really understood what the scripture writers were getting at when they said that God went in search of Adam and Eve saying, where are you? God is everywhere. Uh, where could Adam and Eve had hidden? How good were they at hiding that God didn't know where they are? When I started to understand the concept of a covenant, I started to realize that when Scripture says that God asks, where are you, it was not talking about geography, but he was talking about intimacy. It wasn't simply that Adam and Eve had run out of sight of God, but their because of the, the lack of their loyalty, there had now been a rift that separated them and God. The violation, not of their contract, but of their covenant, brought distance, much like a betrayed lover. Now, I don't know if you have ever sat across the room from someone, maybe it was someone that you really, really trusted, someone that you thought was really going to hold you down. Maybe it was a friend, maybe it was a parent, maybe it was a lover, and that person betrayed your trust. What is it that you're feeling in that moment? Are you going back to the terms and agreements that they didn't do? No. That person, where even if they're sitting right next to you in the room, they might as well be in Russia. The distance that is between you is not of geography, but now of intimacy. Something has come between you, and now there is a separation. And when God comes to Adam and Eve and he says, where are you? He's saying, what happened to you? 
What happened to us? There is now this chasm that has been created. Now, this is so important because so many people, particularly people who are new to church, the way that you understand God is of contract fulfillment. So what happens is normally uh, you, um, it's a really dry and, and, and lifeless approach to God because all you're thinking about is the contract requirements that you have to do and all of the rules that you have to obey. Um, but that is absolutely the opposite of what God wants from us. God wants our loyalty. You know what's required for loyalty? A loyalty requires that you and I make the judgment decision that God is trustworthy and that God is worthy of our loyalty, regardless if we can see why it is that God is calling us to do certain things. Loyalty far out, uh, uh, exceeds contract because in a contract, you sit down and you do negotiations. And when someone says one thing, you'll come back with another thing. But in a covenant, God is simply saying, listen, I want your loyalty. Entire books of the Bible have been written to explain this principle. Uh, there's a book of the Bible called Hosea. And in the entire book of the Bible, God is going through this dramatic story just like uh, one whose lover had betrayed them. And God is telling the prophet Hosea, this is what it's like for my people have done to me. It's not that they didn't perform well in the contract, it's that they have left me. When Jesus comes to the churches in Revelations, the, the hardest critique against this one church that Jesus leverages against him is that, I know your deeds, I know all the stuff that you're doing, but here's the problem. You've left your first love. All of the stuff that you're doing looks great on the outside, but here's the real problem. You have left the loyalty of you and your first love. What God is calling us to is a covenant, not a contract. Now, I always know, and I want to be sensitive about this, that in a room this size, there are people who have come to church today with this feeling of general drifting away from God. And I wanna, I wanna give you guys something really important to think through. You will never move back in the direction of God by looking at it in terms of a contract that was not fulfilled. Because if you do that, you're gonna be thinking about the things that weren't done. What God wants you to do is to think and, and to dwell on the relationship that is being harmed. The best thing that will draw you closer to God is not simply thinking that you can check off more boxes to get closer, but rather that God is in pursuit of you and God is calling you to a genuine relationship. And if you could hear those words of God speaking, saying, where are you? I want you to answer. And I don't want you to have a whole bunch of excuses. I want you to turn and do an about face and simply come to God, knowing that God invites us into this covenant relationship. The last thing, a covenant is forever but a contract is only for a specified period. A contract is for a specified period, time period, but a contract, I mean a covenant rather, is forever. Now this is really important uh, because in a covenantal relationship, it allows you to get rid of the pretense. It allows you to, um, to, to not be worried every single day whether or not God will still be there for you. Now, one of the best ways I understand this is also through marriage. Uh, once a couple is in a dating relationship, um, most people who date are still kind of holding stuff back from their potential spouse. Um, but when they get married, um, you know, your husband just stops putting lotion on his feet altogether. And he just says, listen, this is who I am, and this is what you got for the next however long. The covenant itself allows a person to truly be themselves without the fear without the fear of the person removing their love from them. A contract, you have to perform day by day by day by day in order to keep it, but a covenant allows you to be fully known 
and fully loved. And that's the only way you can come to God. Now, I want to look at a specific covenant in Scripture today uh, with a man named Abraham. And uh, Aswan talked about this guy named Abraham last week. And Abraham is a really important dude in the Bible. Um, Abraham is to the Bible as LeBron James is to the NBA. You cannot have a conversation about the greatest ever without him in it. That's all I'm saying. Uh, and Abraham... <laughs> Listen, you can argue at church and chill after church about, about LeBron. So Abraham, he was, a, he was a rich guy. He had everything that he could want except for a son. Presumably, Abraham had spent his entire life praying to God that God would give him a son. But at this point in his life, he had everything else. So think about it like this. Abraham is living in a, a beautiful apartment with outdoor space right off of the 2-3 line, and it's rent controlled. And one day, God comes to him and says, Abraham, I need you to leave it all. I need you to leave the comfort and security of your life here and go to a place where I'm going to show you. And God gives Abraham a covenant. God gives Abraham a promise that your, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And all Abraham has to go off of, really, is God's promise to him. And we see the story picked back up here in Genesis 15. Um, and fair warning in advance, uh, the first time you hear this, if this is your first time reading this scripture, you're probably going to be thinking, what in the world is this about? And hopefully uh, it will make sense at the time, at the end of the time we're here. Um, starts off in verse 7. This is God talking. He also said to him, talking to Abraham, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur to the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite of each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. When the sun had set and had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day... The Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, to the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, Jebusites, and Harlemites. Let's <laughs> make sure you guys are still paying attention. This is the covenant that God gives to Abraham. Abraham asked God a question that I've asked God before. God, how will I be sure that you are going to do what you promised? God's response to Abraham was not in giving Abraham proof and laying out an argument. God's response to Abraham was a covenant. Now, at first glance, it actually feels a little unsatisfying. Like, I didn't even ask you that question. I didn't ask for you to perform this ritual. What I wanted to know was how will I know that you're going to do what you're saying you're going to do. And that question is a tension that many of us have had to wrestle with in our life. How do I know, God, that you're really going to do the thing that you promised to do? How do I know that you're not going to leave me or forsake me? How do I know that trusting in you is not going to make me look like an idiot? How do I know that I'm not going to miss out on a good life that I could have just by following you? 
God's response to Abram and also to us is not of proof, and I don't want us to get caught up in that, but of a covenant. Now, what God is calling Abram to do is something that he calls you and me to do, and if you're like me, this is the most difficult thing in life. It's something that Scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 and 7 that we have to do, for we walk by faith and not by sight. A few years ago, we did a series on uh, the concept of faith and what faith is, and faith uh, as we defined it, is confidence in the character of God. So here's how you can understand this. All of your questions, as pressing as they may be, God might just respond to you by saying, you're going to have to walk by faith in confidence of my character and not by sight. If God would have told Abraham, oh, here's a vision of you doing this, and here's the plan, and trust me, by Tuesday, this is going to happen, and then by next Wednesday, this is going to happen, God doesn't do this. God simply reminds him of his character by giving him a covenant. Now, if you're like me, there will be moments in your life where uh, walking by faith seems like something that is almost impossible. And there's two specific scenarios that I want to talk about right now that uh, make living by faith really, really hard. The first is suffering. Uh, in suffering situations, in times of hardships, it, is, it feels almost impossible to simply accept God at his word. Because what did we say earlier? How did we define covenant? A covenant is an oath-bound relationship, meaning the only thing you have to go off of is God's verbal promise. And you and I have a number of things that would make faith difficult. Here's a couple. You and I have never seen God. We are not eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus, as first century's apostles were. We live by faith based on the testimony of those who went before us, which means that you and I have to walk by faith. One of the things that will knock you clean off your rocker if you're trying to walk by faith, and that will cause you to question, God, how do I know that you're actually a God that's going to uh, not make me look foolish? How do I know that you're worth following? How do I know that you deserve my loyalty? In response, and God gives his covenant, and suffering and hardships are, are one of the most painful ways that unsettle us. Uh, in 2010, when I was finishing seminary, I had just spent four years of reading book after book after book all about God and this theologian from here, and I thought I knew a whole lot about God. Two weeks after graduation, I was in the hospital with my late wife as she was battling a rare cancer, and everything that I thought I knew about God was wide up in the air. Nothing felt certain anymore. You might be in a place right now where life has kind of just punched you in a place that feels a little below the belt, and you might be questioning, God, how will I know for sure that all of this stuff is real? What you need is not proof. What you need is assurance of God's covenant with you. Another area of life that might be pushing you to request and to want more and more certainty in your life is when you start to sense a call in your life to move forward and follow Jesus in deeper ways. So maybe once upon a time, you swore to yourself and to your friends that you would never be a Jesus freak. Uh, you'd never be one of those people that's always talking about prayer and always talk, going to church and you know, doing all these different things. But slowly but surely, you start to feel more and more of a tug to follow Jesus in closer ways than you ever have before. And here's what you're going to want before you take those next steps in following Jesus. You're going to want more certainty that you won't be uh, embarrassed by making those steps. You're going to want more and more certainty that God is actually real and he's actually trustworthy. And you might be looking around right now for proof. And how do I know for sure? How can I know that I will gain possession of this like Abraham said? And here's what you need to know also. 
you need to be reminded not of more and more proof. And listen, I'm a fan of apologetics. You should go and do research as to why all of this stuff is trustworthy. But deep down inside, what your heart needs is to be reminded of God's covenant with us. Instead of proof, God gives Abraham a covenant. But don't get it twisted. This covenant that God gives us is much better than anything else we could have gotten. I want to turn back to the scripture and kind of go through this covenant that God does with Abraham. And Abram and Abraham are interchangeable. One means daddy, the other one means big daddy. They're the same person. So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down in the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and a thick, dreadful darkness came over him. When the sun had set and the darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Now, what has just happened here in this text is one of the most dramatic scenes in the Bible. Uh, here's what happens. Abraham is cutting up and laying out these, these dead animals uh, down a line. And in verse 12, we, we hear that Abraham fell into this deep sleep, and then something happens to him next. It says that he feels this dreadful darkness, and what literally means this darkness of terror. Here's something that's interesting. All throughout Scripture, whenever people feel God in God's presence, what they fear, what they feel is not warm and tingly feelings of comfort. They're actually terrified. When an angel would appear to someone in Scripture, the first thing they say over and over again is, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, do not be afraid. Over and over and over again, when God appears to women and men in Scripture, they're terrified. And I think that's a good warning for us as we interpret what it is to encounter God. That, listen, I love a good worship song just as much as the next man. But when my favorite singer is singing my favorite song and they start singing in falsetto, I feel God all over the place. But when I read Scripture and I see what happened when people actually encountered God in Scripture, man, they weren't feeling warm and tingly. They were actually pretty terrified. Abraham knew that God, the God of the universe, was actually in his midst, and he was terrified. And then God proceeds to do something that made a lot of sense to him, but doesn't make too much sense to us now. God in his presence is now inhabiting this blazing torch and this furnace and is walking between these pieces of dead animals. And here's what it means to say. When someone would do a covenant like this, what they're saying is, if I do not perform the words that I'm saying, may it happen to me what has happened to these animals. You see these animals that the birds are coming down and trying to pick at their flesh. If I do not do every single word that I am promising right now, may it be unto me, as has happened to these animals. Growing up, uh, when people would say something uh, as kids, whenever we really wanted to make sure that they were serious, we used to like, yo, put that on your mother. Put that on your mother's grave. If it's that serious, if you really want me to believe you, and when someone would say like, yo, word to my, mother, word to my mother's grave, you knew Kalila, am I lying? Once, you, once they said, yeah, I'll put that on my mother's grave, you knew they were telling the truth. They were dead serious. Now, that's a lighthearted way of saying uh, what we see here in the scripture, that when God comes to Abraham, he's saying, this is a blood oath. And if it were possible for divinity to be cut in half, it would happen. That's how sure my word is. 
And Abraham was comforted by that. Now, I know that Abraham was comforted by that because he actually went along and kept on following God. And Abraham, by, this, uh, by receiving God and his blood oath, this commitment to him, that Abraham, I'm so committed to this that I am uh, promising that you know, I'll be split in two unless it, if it doesn't happen. Um, he was not just simply saying something to Abraham, but Abraham knew how severe and how serious it was to make a blood oath. Now, this is astounding for a number of reasons. This is essentially God saying, Abraham, I am bound to you. This is what a covenant by God is saying this. And some of you need to hear this over and over and over again. Lord knows I need to hear it. Here's what God is telling us. I am bound to you. In a contract, you will be looking for specific markers to let me know that the performance is happening at an appropriate pace. In a covenant, we simply have to take God's word that he is bound to us. And regardless of how things are happening at the moment, trusting based on his blood oath, how serious he is. Now, earlier we mentioned that when Jesus came, he came also to give us a covenant. And Jesus' covenant with us, uh, we, we've seen this over and over again in the account of communion. And Jesus brings to us a, a, a new covenant, similarly marked in blood. Scripture says, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and saying, take and eat, this is my body. Jesus takes the bread and splits it down the half and gives it to his disciples. Then he took a cup. After giving thanks, he, he gave it to him and said, drink from it, all of you, for this is the blood, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many in the forgiveness of sins. He broke up a portion of a loaf of bread and passed it to others as they did the same. And as the loaf was handed down from one person to another, he then said, this is my body. And then Jesus lifted up the cup and encouraged them to drink from their cups and says, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood covenant. Jesus was using this imagery and symbolism to communicate a very specific idea. The blood and the wine, I mean, the bread and the wine were symbols of his death on the cross. Jesus is essentially saying, this is my covenant. This is how you will know. This is how sure you can be that I will keep every single promise that I have given you, that I am willing to be split in half for you. And if you have a question about whether or not I am with you, if you have a question about the promises that, uh, that I will give to you, you need to live in the moment and to continue to keep your eyes on the covenant that God has given us on the cross. Jesus was the one that was split in two on the cross and established this permanent blood covenant, signed, sealed, and delivered, in essence saying, um, you will never live up to the requirements that God has, but I will be split in two for you. Now, this is so vital about covenants. God's covenants are given to us to fully persuade to us, to fully persuade us that what God has promised, God will perform. What God has promised, God will perform. Now, there's a couple problems as I think about God's promises uh, in my life. Some of us are holding on to promises that God has never given us. There have been preachers who have stood on stages and told you that God's objective in your life was to prove all of your haters wrong. And one day, your haters are going to see you shining, and they're going to see you as everything is miraculous in your life. And you're frustrated with God sometimes because people have promised you things that will never happen. The point of God's activity in your life is not to prove other people wrong about who you are, but the point of God's promises and covenant in our life are, are, are twofold. 
Two promises I want to leave with you today. Uh, one comes from Hebrews, and Jesus, we, we, we learn that Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. He will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. Second promise comes to us in 1 Peter, where it says, the one who puts their trust in him will never be put to shame. The one who puts their faith in Christ, you will never be put to shame. I can't promise you that the life that you have will be the life that you've always wanted. But I can promise you this, you will never be put to shame. You will look back on your life and you will see the, the assuredness of how God has walked with you along the ways and you will not feel shame, ashamed about it. So much so that Paul gives us this reminder. It's a scripture that I've read a number of times. In eight, Romans 8, it's a, I quote it often because it is pretty profound. And Paul is talking about the covenant, which is meant to give us and persuade us that God is going to keep all of his promises. He says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height or depth, nor anything else in all the creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is Paul's confidence in the, in the covenant that God has with us, that nothing will be able to separate you from God's love. Now, if we are in this covenantal permanent relationship with God, um, I want to challenge us to do two things. Uh, the first is this. Uh, I'm assuming that you're here for one of two reasons. One, uh, because you want to get close to God. Or two, maybe you just wanted to go to church and chill after and uh, meet some cool people. If you are here to get close to God, and this is the desire of your heart, here's what I want to challenge you to do. Do not give up what you want most for what you want most right now. Do not give up the loyalty and the affection and the pursuit of following Jesus for what you want right now in this moment. The enemy, similarly to how he came to Adam and Eve, will try to attack the trustworthiness of the character of God, not to make you do something, but to make you feel something different, to make you feel like God does not deserve your loyalty. And if you're in this moment right now where you're starting to question whether or not God deserves your loyalty, I want you to ponder those words in Romans 8 and 32 and look to Jesus on the cross and think through this concept. If God didn't spare his own son, if, the, if God's covenant with us is that serious that he gave us his own son, how will he not also along with him graciously give us everything that we need? The second thing I want to challenge us to is um, in God's covenant, I want to invite us into greater uh, following of him. And what do I mean by that is there are, I know at any moment in life that there are areas in your life that you're hesitant to take that next step to follow him. But here's what I've discovered in following Jesus for the last however many years. You and I do move to greater certainty, but we discover God's trustworthiness uh, along the path of being obedient to what God calls us to do. You're not going to discover how sure the foundation is of God until you step out onto that. Uh, my wife and I were talking last night about, you know, um, wanting to go swimming this summer. And, you know, we're getting to the fun age where my son likes to jump off of the stage and jump off of the pool. And uh, the, the only way he's going to know that my arms are strong enough to carry him is if he jumps. He'll never discover it based on algebra or, uh, or some uh, formulaic um, computation. He will only discover it in actually taking the steps to put himself out there. And here's what I want for you. 
particularly for those of you who might not have even made a formal step of following Jesus, man, I would love for you to take that next step of moving forward Jesus, moving forward towards Jesus, even if you don't know how everything is going to work out, based solely, not off of proof that your life is going to be great going forward, not off of proof that you know everything is going to line up, but based solely on God's covenant to you. Uh, Next Saturday, we have this Next Step Baptism class, and man, you can sign up on your connection card for that uh, to explore what it looks like for you to make your next step in following Jesus, regardless if you feel like you have all the answers or not, and I want to challenge us to do that. Now, lastly, I want us to do something that we do most Sundays here. I want us to celebrate God's covenant with us in communion, and I want us to be reminded that the the, the way that we should be assured of God's love for us, the way that we should be assured of God's care for us, the way that we could be assured of the question, God, how will I know that you are with me and you are for me, is found here in this new covenant. If you have placed your faith in Christ uh, during this next song, I would invite you to come and to receive this new covenant that Jesus has given us, his blood in the form of juice and his body in the form of crackers. As you take it, I want you to pray these words. Lord, Help me to take this next step in following you. Help me to see yourself, see you as worthy of my loyalty and my love. Help me to quiet the voices that that, that would make a claim against your trustworthiness. And let me find it here at the cross. We pray for us. Lord, would you move us into greater depths of trust in you? And would you allow us to continue to walk and following you. Give us confidence, not based on what we can see, but based on your covenant with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.